Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. How are you doing, Craig? How about yourself? I am, uh, I am very fortunate. Um, how about you? How did you come through the storm? Pretty well. Um, I spent most of the time at the hospital supporting our clinical teams as we're caring for patients. My wife held the fort down at home. Uh, we lost power for about a day and a half, but in the grand scheme of things, we're blessed. How about you? It's kind of the same story, except I wasn't at the hospital. <laughs> um, but uh, definitely... Um, feel blessed, like you, like you lost power for about a day and a half. Um, but as I look south of here, yeah. um, and even when I look around our community, um, you know, we talked, you talked a little bit earlier about um, the migrant workers uh, who do so much to put food on our tables, right. and we often don't think and appreciate yeah. that. And um, many of those people uh, lost everything during that, just right up here in our own area. And so, you know, as a church, we're going to want to work to support them financially, and that's one of the ways he talked about giving. But um, another thing that we want to do is lift our prayers up. Yes. And so today, rather than one person having a prayer, the two of us are going to lead in a responsive prayer with all of you. And so we want to invite you to join us in this prayer. You'll know the right time because the word all will be there. <laughs> and that's where we'll ask you to be a part of it. This is a prayer where it's okay for you to keep your eyes open. So please do uh, read along with us. Um, and when it says all, uh, please respond. And you do understand that when we pray, it's not about our posture or our eyes. It's about where our heart is directed. So let's direct our hearts to the throne of God. Before we do that, it might be appropriate to just have a moment of silence for those who um, are still dealing with the repercussions of this storm. So we invite you just to pause for a minute and reflectively say your own prayer to God on your own, and, and then we'll engage in a responsive reading. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. O Lord, you have surely heard the cry of those directly affected by this disaster. We also present to you our prayers for those wanting to assist in the relief. For those most directly affected by the hurricane, and those providing basic care, give them the strength to continue in difficult conditions. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. For those who will provide clinical care and support to the wounded, give them the skills to work long hours with limited resources and renewed compassion and mercy. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. For those who lost loved ones, Give them comfort and strength as they process their grief. 
Lord, hear our prayer. For those who will organize acts to aid in relief, give them discernment to understand the needs and wisdom to create plans that support and restore those who are hurting. Lord, hear Hear our prayer. For those who will journey to provide relief services and medical care, give them safe travel. Lord, hear Hear our prayer. For all of us who are called to be your church, give us a willingness to respond to your call as we give, serve, and pray. Lord, hear our prayer. Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. Thank Thank you, you, Lord, for for hearing our prayer. prayer. Amen. Amen. As many of you are aware, we have been doing a series called Great Questions. And I hope that you understand that today we're going to take that series, we're just going to put it over here for the next little bit. Because I didn't feel the question was great for this week, but it didn't feel like the right question for this week. By the way, for those of you who are watching at home, we are so glad that you're a part of joining us here. We don't know if you're viewing us because your power is out and you're watching on a generator power, or maybe you're watching from a cell phone, or maybe you're watching from somewhere else around this country, around the world, and you're wondering how things are in Florida. Whichever way you're viewing us today, we're glad that you're a part of the family and we feel your presence here with us worshiping right now. This week has reminded me how you can start a week off with a plan and it can change rather rapidly. I've spent a lot of time as a pastor and I've heard a lot of sermons from other pastors talking about preparing for life's storms. I was really grateful for uh, our executive pastor, John Monday, who thoughtfully sent out an email or a text message to all of us and saying, here's what you need to do to be prepared for the hurricane. Um, I've been through two typhoons on Guam that were, uh, one was a super typhoon and the other was a little less. And uh, and so I, I, kind of thought I knew what was up, but John gave me some really good suggestions that were actually turned out to be very, very helpful um, for dealing with you know, hurricanes here in Florida. So we spent time talking about how to be prepared. And then pastors like myself will spend a lot of time talking what to do when you're in one of life's storms. When you're in the storm, what do you do, right? And sometimes we like to focus on telling you not to be afraid. I'm not gonna lie to you, I was a little concerned Wednesday evening. I won't use the word afraid, although that might be appropriate. I have two big trees in my yard. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I kind of, they're expensive to take care of, right? So I was like, you know, it'll be okay. We're in Orlando. My brother runs a tree service. And that when I started to freak out was when he texted me, he goes, I really wish I'd taken that tree out for you. And I was like, and so, um, and I was like, oh, okay then. No. And uh, so, uh, isn't it good, though, to have family that love you and care about you? No, I'm serious about that. So, just anyway, 
So I was a little bit worried. But you know what occurs to me is that we don't usually spend a lot of time, at least I've never really preached a sermon on what to do after life storms. We talk about being prepared for them, we talk about going through them, but what do you do after the storm is over? You know, um, right now, there's a lot of people dealing with the after, right? A lot of people dealing with the after. Probably most of us who are here today are in the very fortunate. I'm really careful what use, word I use there because sometimes we tend to say, thank God that he spared me. And I think that sometimes that leaves some people feeling like, well, why didn't he spare me? Did God not love me as much? Did I do something that made God angry? And I want you to know that sometimes bad things happen because that's the world we live in. And it just happens. You did not make God angry. I think there's sometimes that God does try to get our attention too, okay? So don't mishear me. But what I'm saying is, especially in a disaster like this, I want to be careful about the words I use because there's a lot of people that are hurting right now and what they don't need is piling on. So what do you do after a storm? What do you do if that's your street? So as Tam and I were talking about what to do for this week instead of the, what was scheduled, we talked about it and decided to go with the story that's found in Mark chapter four with Jesus in the boat with his disciples. It's when Jesus calms the storm. And that's where I started off. And I thought I had one sermon in mind. And then suddenly as I started studying the story, some things changed for me. The first thing I want to talk to you about is in the book of Mark, which I'm taking this particular, all three of the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are called the synoptics. All three of those record the same story, okay? Mark and Luke tell the story in the same order, basically, with a bunch of events happening around it. Matthew does his own thing, and John's just like, dude, I'm the beloved. I'll do what I want to do, and I'm not going to tell the story. (laughs) So... So one of the things you need to understand is each person who wrote a gospel wrote it for a purpose. So just the same way that if I wrote a letter to my daughter, Kyla, or I wrote a letter to my son, Eric, the, the content of the letter might be different for different times, places, and where they're at. And so one of the things you need to understand about the book of Mark is it was most likely written to Gentile converts living in Rome, And when that letter was written, those people were going through some pretty severe persecution. They were going through some rough seas, if you will. They were going through a storm. And one of the things to really remember, sometimes people get really uh, bothered by the fact that when you read through the Gospels, the order of the stories aren't always the same. Um, Sometimes some details are different, like it'll say one person or it'll say two people. And I want to speak to that really quickly. As As a former 
journalist, it was always amazing to me how I could view something and my competitor can view something and we would come up with completely different details and sometimes even numbers. Complete, they would say there was this many, I would say there was that many. Nobody was lying, everybody was telling the truth, but it was the truth from their perspective and what they saw. So that stuff doesn't really bother me. If you've been a journalist, you kind of go, yeah, that, that actually probably means that they're telling the truth because if it's all the same, somebody got together to tell the story. The other part that I want you to remember is that ancient writers were not as concerned about the order as we are today. In fact, they weren't, today we're like, oh, well, it happened this way, this way, and it happened in this order. In, in that time period, they were more concerned about the point that was being made. And so you'd move things around to make the point that you were trying to make with the story. The, the really important thing was the point. And even in some places in the world today, it's still that way. The order is not what's important. What's important is the point that I'm trying to make to you by the way I order things. And that's the, what's happening here in Mark. And so it's really important for us to back up a little bit when we look at this story in Mark. And by the way, if you have a Bible, you can, if on your phone, on your iPad, if you have brought one with you, you can open up to Mark chapter four. We're gonna be staying in Mark four and five completely today. So when you go to Mark chapter four, you gotta remember that Mark is writing to a whole bunch of people who are being persecuted in Rome. And so in Mark chapter four, Jesus starts talking about things, comparing the kingdom of heaven to some things. So he starts off by, with this one, this is one of the ones he uses. He talks about the seeds that are being scattered, the different ground that it falls on. Then he says that the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seeds on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. So Mark's trying to point out to us that one of the things we need to understand about the kingdom of God in our life is a lot like when you plant a seed, you don't know what's really happening. You might think there's nothing happening in your life, and yet there is something very important happening in your life. So that's the first concept I want you to hang on to with where we're headed. The next thing that Mark says is, how can I describe the kingdom of heaven? What story should I use to illustrate? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of the seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make a nest in, the sh in its shade. Also remember that Jesus likened faith to a mustard seed in another place, right? If you have that much faith, you can do amazing things. So there's an allusion to faith here, but there's also an allusion to the fact that sometimes things start off very small in our heart. We have to allow them to grow into what God wants them to be. And it's a process, not just a, there it is, okay? So what happens after Jesus tells, the, tells these stories, these parables, is he gets in a boat and they start across the sea. Big storm comes up. Jesus is taking a nap, by the way, completely aside, nothing much to it, but just because it's kind of fun. There's a lot of comparisons between what happens in this story and the story of Jonah. Go back and look at it and see the difference between the good Jonah and the bad Jonah. All right, so just saying. All right, so, so Jesus is asleep in the boat. And how many times have you felt like Jesus has been asleep on the job in your life? Big storm comes up, big storm comes up, the, the thing's being tossed all over the ocean. Jesus doesn't wake up. He doesn't help them bail the boat. He doesn't like pitch in an oar on the oars. He doesn't do any of that. He just sleeps away. And so it's maybe understandable more than we would like to think because if we're honest, a lot of us in our own personal lives have gone to Jesus the same way the disciples went to Jesus and say, hey, where are you at? We're in trouble here. Don't you care about us? And keep in mind what the disciples wanted. Those disciples did not for a second think that Jesus was gonna stand up and tell the wind and waves to be quiet. And that every, that's not what they were asking for. They said, we could use another man on the pumps. 
How many times have you short sold Jesus on what he can do for you? And so Jesus, <laughs> so Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind in the way he says, peace be still. That's the way that I heard it growing up. But what's important to understand is, again, this is written in a language that has a lot more depth to it than the way that we're translating it. And so when Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still, he's using the language of an exorcist. This is, this is become, going to become important as we move on to our next story. Jesus is actually using exorcism language here. It's not the language that you would expect him to use with an inanimate object with nature. He's actually personalizing it. And, and the way that it's structured, it's a very personalized thing that Jesus is doing right here. And so he basically stands, stands up and says, peace be muzzled, not now and always. Now, we go ahead and we can go ahead and kind of um, understand what the disciples understood when they saw that. Only God can take care of nature, right? And so maybe it's not surprising when Jesus stands up and rebukes it, that Jesus then turns to them and says to them, and I think that if I, if I, in my imagination, Jesus says this with a wink. He winks at them. Why are you afraid? Do you really still have no faith? And what's interesting about this by the way, what's interesting about this is that Jesus leaves them more afraid than they were before. <laughs> and I can prove it from the language. Jesus says, why were you afraid? And it uses, it uses a, a lesser version of this next word, they were terrified. <laughs> this is a very good translation. They were afraid, now they're terrified. Because sometimes when you realize who Jesus is, it will leave you terrified at the implications. And that's exactly what these disciples, they thought they were dealing with a really smart teacher, a really smart rabbi. And yet this man stands up and does what only God can do. Only God can do. And so in this story, we find that at the end of this story, that Mark is going to weave into four more stories. And by the way, I'm going to call, call them the storm on the lake, the storm in a man, the storm in a woman, and the storm in a community. Each one leads into the next one. And so when, when they, we get to the end of this, we find the disciples more afraid than they ever were before in the middle of that storm because of the implications of who Jesus is. So they leave this storm afraid and confused family, there's some of you that are going to leave this story. Some of you who are in this, in this room and some of you who are watching online that, that after Ian was done, you felt more afraid and confused about who God was than before Ian happened or while Ian was happening. And that's even though you're safe, you feel more afraid and more confused. And I want you to know that Jesus did not say to those disciples, oh, come on. I just get out. Just you're done. I'll find some new people. He didn't do that. He brought them along. So if you are confused today about who God is, if after the storm is over, you feel more confused and less certain, let the seed grow. Jesus won't kick you out. You stay with Jesus and let that seed grow. So the next one, 
Next thing that we find, we turn to Mark 5. And now we do find a demon-possessed man. Remember how I said that Jesus used exorcist language? Now we find that demon-possessed man that Jesus comes into contact with. And what becomes very important about this story is that nobody can control this man. They will bind him. He breaks the shackles. He goes away. No man could calm this man. No man could get the storm to go away. No man could contain the storm that was inside of this demon-possessed man until Jesus shows up. And when Jesus showed up, he cast the demon out. There's a lot more to this story that I don't have time to get into, but he cast the demon out. The demon goes into a herd of pigs. They go off, the people come and they see what happened. The crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was seen there fully clothed and perfectly sane and they were. I want you to notice that in all four of these stories, you're dealing with people who are afraid. All four. These people became afraid. They were afraid. Jesus started messing with the livelihood of the area. What could that mean? Sometimes when we encounter Jesus, it makes us realize that he can mess with the way we live. That what he's asking of us could change everything that we thought we knew and everything that we were doing. And that can be very terrifying. Now for the man who had the demon cast out, He says to Jesus, please let me come with you. Let me be one of your disciples that gets to hang out with you. And Jesus says, no. He said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go and tell what I, what God has done for you. And so this is what happens. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Quick note. All those people that were afraid of Jesus, that didn't want him to stay, that asked him to leave, this man goes and tells his story to them. And later on in the book of Mark, when Jesus shows up in that area, they want him there and they ask him to stay. You see, the seed grows because this man was faithful to what God had asked him. So one reaction is to tell Jesus to go. The other reaction from this man who was healed was to be faithful to what he had been asked to do. And because of his faithful testimony, these people's lives are changed. So now we go to another story, a woman and a little girl. A woman who has a storm in her and a little girl who's created a storm in the community with her sickness. A certain man named Jairus, who is a well-to-do, respected religious leader, probably a pastor of some kind, finds Jesus at the beginning of Mark chapter five. And he says to Jesus, look, my little girl is near death. I need you to come and heal her because I know I've been told you can do that kind of thing. And Jesus said, sure, I'm on my way. I'm paraphrasing and moving quickly. So Jesus heads out and another woman comes and sees him. And this woman has had a bleeding issue. This woman has had a bleeding issue where she has not stopped bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine that? By the way, isn't it interesting, 12-year-old girl who's about to die, 12-year-old, 12, a woman for 12 years? Yeah, it's interesting, huh? And so, so Jesus is on his way, and this woman thinks, if I can just touch the edge of his clothing, he could heal me. And so she reaches out in faith, she touches that, and she knows she's healed. And Jesus, in the midst of a jostling crowd, goes, wait a minute, somebody touched me. And his disciples were like, uh, yeah, they did. 
And she's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I know somebody's touched me. I felt healing power go out of me. So what's the woman's reaction? Then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. She's frightened. Yeah. Is this guy going to be mad at me? Have I done something that's insulted him? I mean, he, I know that I've been healed, but, but will he take it back? How many times have you thought that Jesus might take back a good thing that he gave you? How many times have you lived in fear that the good thing that Jesus just gave you is something that he's going to take away from you? But you know what? Follow this woman's example. Don't, if you are in fear, fall on your knees in front of him and tell him what you've done and allow him to bless you more. So after this woman's storm is gone, what's her reaction? After the storm is over, she's afraid to be honest with Jesus, but she does. She tells Jesus what's really going on. Now to that little girl that had the whole community astir. I have done a lot of funerals over the years and by far and away, the hardest ones for me to do are children. It's not even close. The second hardest for me is the parents of children. Some ways those are almost as hard. So anyway, the whole community is wrapped up in this drama that's going on. The whole community knows this little girl is dying. This whole community knows that if Jesus doesn't get there, there is no chance for her. There's a storm going on. Will Jesus get there? And because Jesus delayed with that woman, who, by the way, they all looked down on, because if you had a bleeding issue, you'd done something wrong. So they, they didn't have a lot of pity for her. Jesus did. They didn't. So this, this terrible woman delays Jesus from a 12-year-old girl who could really have benefited. You could have waited. I want you to know that sometimes when we think Jesus is taking somebody else's problems that aren't as important, we need to readjust our priorities and rethink things. That when other people receive blessings, rather than being upset about it, we need to be grateful for them and, and happy for them. But what happens is, is that, that as Jesus is finally getting done with that woman, somebody comes up to Jairus and says, no point, don't worry about it, your daughter's dead. Tell Jesus thanks anyway. And this is Jesus' response to Jairus. Don't be afraid, have faith. I don't know about you, but I have, I have two children. Some of you have children, some of you don't. If you don't have a child, think about the person you love the most in the world and just think about that person dying and you being told and then having Jesus say to you, hey, don't worry about it, just have faith. Yeah, I did have faith. That's why I came to get you and you didn't hustle. Have anybody, has anybody else here felt like Jesus didn't hustle to meet your need? You could have fixed it back here, Jesus, but now... By the way, do you notice in all four of these, these are all four situations that nobody, that everybody had done everything they could. And I want you to catch this last one because this one's really important. 
we get that the disciples had bailed until they thought they couldn't bail anymore, and then they went and got Jesus. We get that the demoniac, that nobody else could take care of him, and so Jesus took care of him. We get that the woman without, the, with a bleeding issue found Jesus when nobody else could take him. They're all at the end of their rope. But Jairus did what a lot of us did. He did the right thing right from the beginning. He went to get Jesus. Are there ever times where you go to get Jesus because it's not your last resort? You go right at the very beginning. And it's still not enough from your perspective. You went to get Jesus and it wasn't enough. You prayed that the storm wouldn't damage your home because your insurance wasn't correct. You prayed that, and Jesus just doesn't show up. And Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. And you know what? When Jesus gets to that home, he throws everybody out except for the family. And then he tells that little girl to get up. And Jesus proves once again who he is because she immediately stood up and walked around and they were overwhelmed and amazed. So what's their reaction? They're overwhelmed and they're amazed at what Jesus has done. After that storm, the community believes that death is the end of the story, but the community is overwhelmed and amazed when they discover death is not the end of the story. So what happens here? Jesus demonstrates that he has power over nature. Mark, Mark's talking to these people, these Gentiles, who are going through persecution. He demonstrates that Jesus has power over nature. Jesus has power over your mental health. Jesus has power over your physical health. And Jesus has power over life. Isn't that incredible? All four of those wrapped up into this power-packed section that sometimes we take individually but are meant to be read together as a whole and are stood as a whole. What does that have to do with us today? I hope it has a lot to do. Wherever you are in your journey with Jesus, wherever you are, stay on that journey after the storm. The easy thing is after the storm is to let go, but the storm's over. But let that seed continue to grow. And one of the things I've found that helps that seed grow the most is stop and take some time for reflection. It's one of the reasons why I didn't show up at this church right after I got done at my last church. I was asked, they said, hey, please come sooner. You know, we need somebody sooner rather than later. But one of the things I've learned in my journey is it was important for me to stop, take time and reflect on what Jesus had done in my last assignment before I moved on to my next assignment. And I wanna encourage you after storms like we've been through, like Ian and other life storms that you may go through. And believe me, Ian, there's cancer that people are going through, loss of, of loved ones that people are going through. Take a moment to stop and reflect on what Jesus is trying to tell you in this experience. What is he trying to bring you through and share with you in this? And I'd like to start off by practicing that with you today. Normally at the end of a sermon, I let you ask me questions, but today I want to mix it up 
And I want to ask you some questions that I'd like to hear from you. And so we have two people with microphones that are gonna walk around. Let me go ahead and give you the rules of engagement because this is gonna be important. I'm gonna be asking you two specific questions. I love you and care about you and wanna hear your life story in the lobby. Here, I want you to answer those questions in 60 seconds or less. When the person comes to you with the microphone, if you've raised your hand and you're willing to say something, I hope you will. I'd really like to get some good response from you as a family. But when you raise your hand, the person's going to come up to you with the microphone. You're going to try to take it from them. I've been told them to wrestle you for it. They're going to hold the microphone. You know why. And so they're going to hold the microphone. And if you get past a minute, they're going to gently tap you on the shoulder. And that's to tell you that in 15 seconds, they're going to walk away from you. (laughs) And that's just the way it's going to be. Okay, because we'd like to get as many people to be able to share as possible. So here are your two questions. The first one is, what have you learned about God through this last hurricane? What have you learned about God through this last hurricane? Or the other question is, As you listen to the sermon and experience the worship service, what did God speak to you today? Do we understand the two questions? What did you learn coming out of this hurricane? Number two, what did you learn from today's worship service? How did God speak to you? If you'd like to answer that, I find that it's very encouraging for us as a church to hear each other and hear the storms that we've been through and the things that we've learned. So I'd invite you, if you'd like to share something, raise your hand real high. We have two people with microphones. Like I said, they're gonna come by. They're not going to go ahead and let you hold the microphone, but they'd love to go ahead and let you speak. So who wants to speak? How has God spoken to you through the storm that we've just come through? All right. Hello. And God is in charge of everything. Awesome. God is in charge of everything. Love it. Thank you. Okay. So from this sermon, this I guess the storms will always be coming in one way or another, one form or another. Um, but Jesus, Jesus will always be there, whether he's sleeping or not. I, I guess whether we perceive that he's sleeping or not. He's I love there. it. That's good. That's good stuff. We have one right over here. Oh, shoot, I'm sorry. Okay. So for me, my experience with the storm was I did lose power for like 20 hours, I think. Um, but I was really blessed. I ended up, prior to the storm, I went to like a friend's house and I was eating good. They were cooking. I know that. like a charcoal grill. So it was a really good experience because it was like I did get impacted, but um, it was like God just takes care of things. Like I, you know, like if you have faith, he'll take care of things and bless you beyond what you expect. Awesome. Then, yeah. That's one of my favorite things about disasters is how they bring communities together. I don't like disasters, don't get me wrong, but they bring people together. I know my neighbors in much deeper ways after this hurricane than I did before. Okay, I have one. So my boss, I'm over here. Oh, 
My boss has something uh, right in front of where we clock in. It's called, uh, don't tell God how big the storm is, tell the storm how big your God is. Um, and so with this sermon, it's kind of made me realize that God really is in control of everything that's going on. And we needn't have fear or worry about like what's going to happen to us during and after. Awesome. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. There was one person right over here who had his hand up. And sir, just keep your hand up so that they can see you there. Yeah. So um, I guess after the sermon, what comes to my mind is, um, you know, when, when I'm praying about certain things sometimes, uh, I don't want to say it's selfish, but it's like, you know, God, what, what about me? You know, and what you kind of said was, um, you know, Jesus responded by saying, like, don't be afraid, just have faith. And I think... Um, sometimes I don't trust that God has my best interest at heart, you know, like, will he really look out for me? And I think sometimes my prayer is like, I want to pray for me because like, I I know what's best for me, I think. But um, I guess the challenge that I got from the sermon is um, trust God kind of, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. This one. I just want to say that being from Puerto Rico and living in Florida for so many years and having been through so many storms, this one was rather difficult and different. Like it lasted longer than I was expecting to last. And especially the waiting and then after passing. But the best thing, always the thing that gives me most confidence is at the end when you open your door and you see all the freshness that has come to our neighbor and everything looks like it's going to be new. So I feel that God is blessing us every any way after all these difficulties that we have, everything can be new for us. Awesome. That's beautiful. Thank you. So I'm from Colorado and this was my first hurricane. Mm. So I was truly afraid. <laughs> yeah. And um, what I learned from it is that his love is everlasting and in him, I can find peace. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Can we get, make sure, I want this, we, we, this uh, gentleman oh. right over here had his hand up, so I really want to make sure we, we don't miss him. Yeah. Hi. Um, this is my first time at the church, so hi. Hi. Hey. Welcome. Um, name? William. My name is William. Say hi to William. Um, but listening to you today, I kind of recapped something in my mind that I was told. And then put my own thoughts together. Um, I learned that life isn't fair for everyone. And that's okay. Because God will not give you any set of problems that he knows you cannot handle. Um, If you're going through something, like I know a lot of people are, know that he didn't send you this hurricane or whatever. Oh, I'm on camera. Uh, He didn't send you this hurricane for no reason. He knew you can get through it no matter what. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And we're glad you're here with us. We hope you'll come back. Last word right over here. Haas, do you, just a second. Do you have anything coming from online? Okay. Um, Humans are fragile. And I learned after all this, God is the opposite. (laughs) That God, uh, so can you, I'm sorry, can you say that one more? That God Humans is the, are fragile when the torment or hurricanes come. Yeah. And God is the opposite. Awesome. Thank you for sharing mm. that.
thank you for each one of you who shared today. For me, it's just really nice to hear your thoughts and your reflections. And we have, we do have one from our online group. So go ahead, Haas. Yes, we have Nashville Tim who said, I, I learned to evacuate first and evacuate later. For the second one, he said, I learned to always trust in God's care using my own God-given knowledge and skill and God's leading to meet my life's challenges. Awesome. Thanks, Oz. And thank you to those of you who are viewing online. We love getting your comments on our online platforms. It makes it feel like you're a part of our uh, church service here, which you are. So thank you so much for uh, being online with us. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church/podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.